Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in, checking out, and and uh, I hope the audio and video that is presented here is a blessing and a help to you. We're going to pick up today in the, the the second part of our introduction to the idea of a worldview, and uh, just studying through these ideas, thinking through these ideas to to see how this might be helpful in in terms of missions and and being a Bible believing missionary on a on a foreign field, trying to understand and and develop a a proper conceptual framework, um, how to approach different cultures, different societies, different, more importantly, worldviews with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's our that's our hope. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last time. Again, as a matter of fact, this will somewhat overlap what we talked, what we discussed in the. The last lesson, and then we'll pick up into new ideas and finish up this section of this study. Now, the matters we've been talking about, the suggested problems, the idea that foreign missionaries, Western missionaries, more importantly, American Baptist missionaries are going into foreign fields, and we're placing sometimes expectations on, on the, the foreign national to repent of their paganism that we don't put on ourselves. We have this intermingling. Now, again, this intermingling of, of our, our own culture with Christianity to a small me- measure, to a small extent, is inevitable. It's going to happen. But when, when certain areas of our culture can be clearly identified as pagan and we bring that into our Christian beliefs regardless, that's a problem. And so we we go to these foreign nationals, they trust in Christ, and we tell them, now you've got to give up your pagan religion. They well, are you going to give up yours? <laughs> are you going to continue to practice Roman Catholic holidays and religious observances that were stolen from pagans in the name of Jesus? Are you going to continue to do that and expect me to give up my totem poles and, and you know, whatever else is a part of the, the foreign nationals' religious background? Um, that that doesn't work. So so these are complicated matters, um, but it's even more complicated when we arrive into cultures 
that use Christian terminology. That makes it all the more difficult. Uh, we're, we're, we're using the same words, but they mean something completely different. And, and an example of that here in Uganda, we have a group who call themselves the born-agains. Now, you, you imagine trying to witness to that group. Uh, tell them they must be born again. Their answer is, oh, I am a born again. But that's the key. I am a born again. They don't, they don't have a clue what the, what the term means. They don't even know that it exists in the Bible. I've had the opportunity to discuss this issue with numerous of them, and I asked them to tell me, what does it mean to be born again? And they don't know. To them, it's it's a denomination. I'm part of this denomination, so I am a, I am a born again. And when I explained to them that this is actually a term that is in the Bible and something that is required of us as Christians, they become very confused. Like, what do you mean? How can this be in the Bible? What what is What is happening here? <laughs> and so... It becomes a blessing because when you take them through and you show them, oftentimes, not always, but most of the time, they're very interested and they want to know. And, and then they want to know, how is it that I've missed this all this time? And, um, and so it, it, it can be a blessing, but, but then there are those who stick to their guns and they say, no, I, I am a born again. And because I am a born again, I'm okay with God. Everything's all right. There's nothing else God expects of me or wants from me. And, and they don't care what you have to say. And so the, it's, these are important distinctions. These are, these are deeply embedded issues in many cultures. It's, this can happen. This can take on many forms in many cultures. So, you know, they, they simply belong to a denomination. They, they have never been saved. They never trusted in Christ. They couldn't get, tell you the If you ask them, how did you have your sins forgiven? They're going to give you some wild answer that has nothing to do with salvation or or the or the or a any semblance of a biblical testimony of salvation at all. And again, I'm not looking for some deep theological answer. Just, just in in some way your answer needs to be it needs to express that you are trusting that Jesus did something on the cross to pay for your sins. I mean it it you know in order in order for me to to, I guess, accept or receive that you have indeed trusted in Jesus Christ, well, your testimony should in some way resemble the fact that you've trusted in Jesus Christ. But if your testimony or if their testimony is simply religious in nature and has nothing to do with the finished work of Christ in any way, we got a serious problem. And, and so we got to start from the beginning. Are you a sinner? What is a sinner? You know, you just you just got to start walking your way through it and convict, convicting them of their sin from a biblical perspective, and then giving them the, the solution how that Christ died for your sin. So these ideas are important because underlying beliefs of a cultural nature deeply shape the categories and lo- logic with which people think and view reality. That's where the confusion about the terminology comes in. We're saying the same words, but they don't mean the same thing. Man, that that couldn't ring any more true in American culture today. People are using terms like woman, man, and have no clue what those terms mean. We are in a we are in a very depraved time. The fruit of our humanistic, materialistic, you know, relativistic morality that was pushed on Americans, it has been pushed on Americans probably since the 60s, but definitely since the 90s, 
it it's we're seeing the fruit of it. It's horrendous. They pushed God out. They embraced confusion openly, happily, and here we are. What is a woman? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a biologist, <laughs> but she is a Supreme Court justice in America. Can't tell you what a woman is, but she's going to sit down and determine the constitution, the the, the constitutionality of your laws. Uh, no, thank you. So. So this problem can't be underestimated and should be diligently considered. We really need to think through these things. Um, And doing so will inform us on how to approach the great gulf in decision-making from one culture to another. Have you ever traveled and you look at the way a culture does things and you just scratch your head and say, why? (laughs) There is a worldview. There is a structure in place psychological, emotional, religious, um, there's a structure in place that, that is causing the masses to move in that direction. What is it? And to try to fight against it, it's like standing, it's like, it's like trying to stop a wave from coming in. (laughs) Good luck. So we, and and we're not, I don't come to Uganda to fight against the, the direction of their culture, though I would, I would absolutely love to in some places. Uh, it would be a useless, it would, it would go nowhere. It'd be futile. But I do want to come and deal with individuals and confront them with the gospel and one person at a time change their culture from, from the culture attached to their flesh and exchange that for a biblical culture from the word of God. That I do want. That, that is desirous. That is, that is what, we're, what we're sent here for. Establish a church that can then, that can then on a large scale, um, reproduce these cultural changes that need to take place, again, from a biblical perspective with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and, and all these factors that have to come into this. This is why this topic is so important. It will help us monitor how a group of people is receiving the Word of God. How do they, do they, again, like, like we, we talked about the Japanese um, in the previous lesson, do they, do they just take it and set it on the shelf next to their other gods? Is Christ just an addition to their religious experience? Or, or do they repent of their prior religious experience and trust in Christ fully? You've you got to sift through the, the people who, who know how to tell you what they think you want to hear and get to the bottom of the reality of the situation. Um, you know, did it just become, did Christ just become another deity on the, on the totem pole or did they repent of the totem pole altogether? These, this is where it gets complicated. We get excited. They trusted in Christ. They said they're going to come to church and then they don't come. And then you try to call them and they don't answer your calls. That aspect of it, the professions of faith is exciting. The lack of genuine follow-up is not so exciting. It can be, can be quite discouraging. So gaining a proper understanding of how it might work in the particular society you're ministering to can, can greatly help you. And instead of frustrating you, it, it, can, it can arm you with the tools necess- necessary to start chipping away at the problem and, and moving things in the right direction. And that, that's my goal. That's my hope. So... You know, did, did they absorb Christian terminology and mingle its uses 
with their previous religious structure, or did they repent of celebrating the winter solstice? You know, so, so the idea is that that confrontation on the street, when that, that man, that woman trusted in Jesus Christ, did they trust in Jesus Christ or did they just add Jesus to their, their current sinful condition? This is what we have to determine. Uh, how is, how is, is this a common thing? Is it happening regularly in this society, in this place where we are, where we're ministering? And, and what do I need to do to approach this differently so that they get, that I'm not offering them uh, you know, a good luck charm or an extra piece of religion to add to their current religious experience. I'm offering them a new birth to become a new creature radically different through Jesus Christ. And, and so that's, that's our, that's our aim. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And their underlying cultural beliefs will determine how they process the information from God's word. You know, Uganda is uh, very, very religious in nature. Uh, they, they, generally speaking, they declare themselves to be a Christian nation. Well, what does that mean? You know, the, the, there's very little sign of Christianity anywhere in the country, but they know all the terminology. They have a, you know, at least the Luganda-speaking uh, people of Uganda, they, they have a broken, busted Bible that was, that was translated from the Revised Version into Luganda, but when they translated it, they didn't translate it word for word. They translated the ideas. So basically, it's a it's a rough commentary on the revised version of the Bible. And because of that, they've had access to religious terminology for a long time. And that Bible was, for, was first printed in 1896, I believe. And so they, they've had that same Bible. Today you can get the, ironically, it was printed in 1896. Today you can buy the 1968 version. And it's the exact same Bible with updated spelling and grammar. That's the only change. And so, praise the Lord, we're working right now on, on hopefully providing the Luganda-speaking people with an accurate Bible. God helping us. Please pray for us. Um, but the difficulty up till now is they have been abundantly exposed to Roman Catholicism, uh, Episcopalian, Protestant-type churches, Anglican-type churches. Um, uh, you have huge numbers of, of different forms of Pentecostal churches here. Jehovah's Witnesses are here. Mormons are here. You have all these different cults, basically, Christian cults who are all here. And, and, and then you've got Islam on top of that, which is, whether they like it or not, they, they, it's a ripoff of Christianity, a very broken ripoff of Christianity, but that's all Islam is. And so you, you take all that, you have, you have these these people who have been drowning in religion for years, and they're proud of it. They're so proud of it. And so you try and confront them with the gospel because they're favorable to Jesus and the Bible, and, and because of their, their uh, a major aspect of their culture is the willingness to talk and have conversations. So you can have a good, reasonable conversation with them. They will tell you the Bible is the Word of God. That's a good starting point. But then when you start talking about the specifics, uh, that's where you're going to start running into trouble. That's where it becomes more confrontational and, and, um, and they're not interested. 
they love their religion and would like to stay in it. Now, if, if you're convincing and you can demonstrate from them from the word of God that they're on their way to hell, then they'll be happy to add what you have to offer them to what they already have. Then they're going to say thank you and go back to the church that you just demonstrated to them was false or failed to teach them anything substantial or helpful. They'll go right back. It's like, what, what happened? Well, that's what we want to get to the bottom of. That's why we want to look at these ideas and these issues and see if we can make sense of this. Now, a good example of this is in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. And we'll read through this quickly. I'm not going to teach the passage, but it's a beautiful example of of exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the gospel, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. When they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So this is exactly what, what we've been talking about, what we've been discussing. The passage says that Simon believed. Okay, he believed the preaching of these men that came and preached the gospel. He was amazed by their miracles. And so you had this, so though, though he had believed, you have this intermingling between his previous life and this newfound profession of faith uh, they're not quite separated yet. And Peter, being the kind man that he is, <laughs> let him know that that was not acceptable in a very, in no uncertain terms. <laughs> he was very clear that that Simon's approach to these things was, was not acceptable. And it wasn't. Now, we may or may not need to rebuke people that harshly, but but it does need to be confronted. But they need to be there to be confronted. See, the problem I have here in Uganda is 
Simon stayed with these men after trusting in Christ. There was an interest there. He wanted to be with them. Maybe his motives were not correct, but it said he believed. He was amazed at what they were able to accomplish. Obviously, he had a lot to learn and needed some what we would call discipleship. That's very clear. And Peter brought him up to speed rather quickly. But the problem here in Uganda is they make the profession of faith. They seem to be amazed by it. They see, sometimes the conversations are so warm and, and wonderful and, and, and reasonable as you walk them through the scriptures and they see their, their sinful condition and they see that Christ is the solution to that sinful condition. And then on their own accord, they call upon the name of the Lord and you never see them again. And so it, it's, it's just strange to me. I don't understand it. I want to understand it. I want to get it. God helping me, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it. I'm not going to tell you there is a solution. There is an answer. Um, but if there, if, there, if there is one, if there is not one, it won't be from a lack of trying from this direction. So I hope you'll follow along with me. And, and, and I'd like to hear from you what you think. If you've got, you got the solution, send it to me. <laughs> I would love to know. Uh, now, again, as I stated in the, in the, in the introduction, uh, part one of the introduction, I'm not looking for dogmatic, ridiculous dogmatic statements. The reason people flee Baptist churches is because oftentimes they're dogmatic with no evidence. They're willing to make unreasonable statements with nothing to back it up. And I, I, I don't want to go in that direction. So I, I hope you don't either. Um, so, so Simon believed, but when he saw the apostles' ability, he resorted back to his days as a sorcerer. You know, he, he, you know, it's still there. It's still in him. It's still who he is. Sure, he's this new person, but what does he know about Christ? What has he learned yet about Jesus Christ? Now, if someone doesn't pick him up and teach him, if someone doesn't deal with him, bring him up and build him up in the Word of God, it's going to stay that way. And, and that level of confusion is going to be allowed to be propagated, especially if he has the influence that that passage makes it sound like he has. That, that's a recipe for disaster. You might come back through that part of Samaria a few years later and find out Simon has his own disciples teaching his own, his own doctrine in the name of Jesus. And, and that's, that's what happens. When his behavior was manifest, he was sharply rebuked. And the response seemed to be of sincere confusion. When I read the passage, I, I've, I've heard a lot of preaching on it. I understand everybody gives, everybody's very hard on Simon the sorcerer. I, I get it. But it seems to me like he's genuinely confused. He wants to do what the, the apostles are doing. But he doesn't get that this is, this is a spiritual acquisition. This is not a financial acquisition. You don't go buy this ability. You gotta, you gotta walk in the spirit. You gotta serve God, and and um, so he was, he was just confused about how these things work. So this is the reason we're going to embark upon this study. We're going to move in this direction. Uh, what must be involved in the conversion of a soul? What has to be there? Undoubtedly, their beliefs and behavior should change, but these must be addressed in light of the worldview that undergird them. When Christian living is confused with traditional cultural living, 
the end result is another form of pagan Christianity. It's, it's, a, it's a Baptist with a bale bush in his house. It's, it's a Baptist church who have children hunting Easter eggs, bunny rabbit eggs. <laughs> You're telling me there's not, nothing in your mind that makes you say, where did that come from exactly? <laughs> All right. If, if you're okay with celebrating Ishtar and, and celebrating the winter solstice, that's up to you. That's between you and God. I'm not, you know, you, you do what you want with those things. But that's the syncretism that I'm talking about. And it's not correct. It's not right for me to go, for, for, for me, if I, if I were to celebrate such pagan holidays, but I want to go into Uganda and tell them you need to give up your pagan holidays and come celebrate my pagan holidays in Jesus' name. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And that's not one that I, I want to be a part of. We do not want to add to the deafening noise of confusion, but rather reproduce authentic New Testament Christianity all around the world. Conversion cannot encompass beliefs alone. If the behavior does not follow, it proves the person's beliefs were not actually affected. We live what we believe. If our daily life is contrary to our professed belief, we become the living embodiment of hypocrisy. We are Christians. We are Christians, or we are syncretistic. Which one is it going to be? You can't be both. To be both is syncretism. It's, it's an admixture of religious, of religious background. And the line between the two is not always so clearly seen. We need to be careful. We, we need to, to draw those lines carefully, not, not in a legalistic format, but in a realistic format, absolutely. Um, this is where our gracious and patient care for their discipleship becomes essential. Uh, through discipleship and Bible teaching weekly in church, we bring converts from the confusion of syncretism to Christian maturity. Too many professing Christians were left in their syncretistic state or they were comfortable there. Which one are you? Are you a Christian or are you syncretistic? And if you, if you are, is that because you want to be there or because you were just genuinely not properly taught? Uh, you need to know the difference and find a solution. A form of biblical orthodoxy must be established by the local church. In this way, the necessary lines for each culture can be drawn, thereby manifesting a measure for, what, for that which is Christian and that which is pagan. When these lines are clearly drawn, the people may decide to live for the Lord in clear biblical terms as they mature. When these lines are not drawn, we end up with homosexual Christians or Muslim followers of Christ. That's a problem. That's confusion. That that can that can exist. It doesn't exist. I mean, it's it's it exists, but we know it's all we all know it's false. When these lines are not drawn, we end up with with homosexual Christians or Muslim followers of Christ. People must learn what it means to live a biblical life in each geographical or cultural context. This highlights the importance of the local assembly as well as national leadership. As missionaries, we must find and train those nationals who can bridge the cultural gaps between the Western mind of a missionary and the vastly different cultural setting. Uh, This is extremely important. This should not be taken lightly. If you can't 
find someone to help you bridge that gap, it, it's not likely you're going to do it yourself. You can prop it up for a while, but it's not the same as when a, a, a national that, that can understand you and then take what you teach them and translate that to their own people it makes a huge difference. And, and give them the space and liberty, the freedom to be able to do that properly. All right. In an attempt to think through the depth of transformation that should exist uh, with conversion to Christianity, we will examine this process at the worldview level. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. And God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.